As you can tell, she is a delightful person to work with, and it's wonderful when you have people on staff that you really love and enjoy, and what a blessing that uh, the many, many hands make a little lighter work, <laughs> and uh, certainly no one could get it all done without a great team, so I'm thankful for our team. Let me um, continue to pray for us as we worship this morning, and we'll begin our fall sermon series. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you have in store, for the opportunities we have to be together, to reunite, re-engage, and reach out, to embrace your word, to enjoy you, and to engage our world. We pray, God, that as we begin uh, Ecclesiastes this morning, that you would give us your wisdom to impart your truth to our hearts, to make a difference in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome here. If you're just joining us online, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're revamping and restarting and going again in the fall and so we're starting a new sermon series and this one is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Wow. Has anybody read this book before? Has anybody wanted to read it ever again? (laughs) It's a tough one. It's a tricky one and it's a challenging one but I think it's absolutely perfect for this time that we're in right now where everywhere we look it seems like people are chasing after the wind and vanity of vanities and it's all utterly meaningless as systems and parties and governments and everything around us seems to be falling apart as we look at our world we ask the question well who do we go to or where do we turn to find truth where do we find meaning What is this life all about? And what will come in the end? The book of Ecclesiastes points us in that direction through a very intense and diligent search. The author we'll talk about here in just a second, not just the author, but their approach and their message. And so the way that we're going to walk through this today is in three parts. We're going to look at who, how, and what. Who, how, and what? Who wrote this book? How are they going about it? And what in the world are they trying to say? Who, how, and what? Who, how, what? Who wrote it? How are they going about it? And what are they trying to say? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read chapter 1, which is verses 1 through 18. And you'll see as we get into the how section that this is a little different form of literature. It's not a psalm. It's not a prophet. It's not apocalypse. It's not a proverb. It's different. And so there'll be a lot of subjects that pop up like wisdom or work and other stuff. And you may think, oh, Pastor Jeremy, you didn't cover all of that. And you're right, I didn't. (laughs) Because there's a lot there and we can't cover it all in one morning. But those words that are big and important will come up again and again and again. And so as they do and as we encounter what this author is saying about them, we'll gradually unpack them. So there's more to come. I promise. It all can't happen today. But today we want to look at the big picture of what in the world is going on with this book. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible, just let us know. We'd be happy to gift you with one. It would be our pleasure. If you do, please bring it. It will help you. If you're watching online, you'll see the words on the bottom of your screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning verse 1, 
says this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been done in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and the striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much, much vexation. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... First of all, before we even get to the what or the how, let's talk about the who. Because a few times I read out loud the words of the preacher. And if you're new to church, you're like, wait, are you the preacher? Is that the preacher? Or who's the preacher here? (laughs) And just a little hint and heads up. As a preacher, I feel like it's my main job not to give you my opinion, but to give you what the word of God, the Bible says. And so here in this book there is a unique approach which is taken by the author and in many books you have at the start this um, title or heading that will give you the author this is a you know from Paul to so-and-so or the the words of so-and-so but in this book they don't actually give their name they just call themselves the preacher so here's what it looks like in the original language in Hebrew Here's a slide. The, the word is Kohelet. Now, that's not just a fancy name, but what it is, is, is it's a noun that comes from a verb. And the verb basically means just to call people together, to bring them together, to present a lesson. And so as a result, the translators call this a preacher. You could call it a preacher. You could call it a teacher. But the reason they go with preacher is because... The next translation, see there's the Hebrew, which is the original. Then there's another translation because Alexander the Great conquered the world. Everybody speaks Greek and therefore 
the scriptures need translated into Greek. And that next translation is called the Septuagint. It's a Greek version of the Old Testament. And what that uh, does is, it here's a picture of it. Just look at the blue. You don't have to know Greek. And the first blue word in Greek is something that sounds like this, ekklesistau. It sounds very similar to ekklesia, which is a word that we have been using to describe the church lately. And indeed, that's what it means. Ekklesia is church. Ek is a preposition out. Klesia is to call. You put those together, you get call out or a group or an assembly of people together. So this big word, okay, this big word, Ecclesiastes, which is, seems like a weird word. We don't use it very often. All it is, it's just the English transliteration of this original word, ecclesia or ecclesistau, meaning the preacher, the one who is calling people together to hear a certain message. So literally translated, I think you can see the slides, it would be words of a preacher. Let's go back to that slide just a little bit longer. Words of a preacher, son of David, king of Israel in Jerusalem. Now notice that it doesn't say words of so-and-so. It just goes generic. After that, it uses the son of David. So a lot of us, a lot of people traditionally say, oh, that must be Solomon because he was super wise. He was super wealthy. He was a king in Jerusalem. It must be him. But nowhere in the entire book does it say that. And there's all kinds of speculation and debate about who this actual author is. But in reality, whether it's Solomon or some unnamed person, it doesn't impact the message of the book at all. So most of the commentators just call this person the preacher all throughout. The preacher or kohelet or whatever. The whole way through, they're just going to not worry about it. And I would advise us to do the same. Like, it's really not that important exactly the specific person that wrote it. But more important is the message the book contains. So you see this word. All I'm doing is introducing to you who wrote this book. The word is Ecclesiastes. That's the name, like the book of Jeremiah or the book of Isaiah. This is the book of the preacher. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesia. So Ecclesiastes just means preacher. That's all it means. That's all the title is. Preacher. So then what in the world are they doing? What are they doing? Because as I read this, I'm like, vanity of vanities, all is vanities, everything's vexation, nothing is worth it, everything's crooked, no, 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 no. That does not sound very good. <laughs> not sure I really want to read chapter two. That's just chapter one, and it gets worse. What in the world is going on there? Well, here's your hint. There's a literary device. Here's a picture of it. I'm not trying to geek out this morning, but I just want to show you exactly what's going on. Here's another Hebrew word. This word is hebel, hebel. And here's the occurrences. Here's a picture. Here's a graph of the occurrences of hebel in the Old Testament. This is how many times this word occurs. Now, you'll notice that most of the way across the board, it's really low. Like, that's Deuteronomy is 1, 1 Kings is 2, 2 Kings is 2, Job is 5. Psalms, which is a really long book, has it nine times. And that's like the most it occurs in any other book besides the book of Ecclesiastes. If you go to Ecclesiastes, that, I don't know, is that turquoise? Is that what that is? All right, good. We'll call it turquoise. Um, That's 
38 times. So in this little tiny book, this word hevel occurs a lot, especially compared to some of the great big other books. So what in the world is this author trying to do using this word over and over again? Uh, I think actually Psalm 144 will help answer that question. And here is that uh, verse Um, It says, man is like a breath. See how that's translated there? That's the word hebel. Man is like a breath, hebel. And then in the next sentence, it says, his days are like a passing shadow. Now hold that for just a second. Dig deep with me here. I know you're a smart crew. We live here. We're in Midland. You're smart. Hang on. All right. Here's what's going on. This is what's called like synoptic parallelism okay so there are two different lines that this hebrew poet stacks on top of each other let's keep that up there for just a second longer please um and what it's doing is the saying the exact same thing but the second line sort of builds on the first and explains it a little bit more maybe in different words if it was the exact same words it'd be synonymous parallelism this is a little bit different but it's still parallelism so breath Hebel is like shadow. Breath is like shadow. Okay, so that's what we're getting at with this term. So this term is translated in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to skip a couple slides on you, Leah. Can we go to the one that has the NIV, ESV, Holman Christian Standard, and the good news? Here it is. Here's the many different translations. This word hebel is translated as meaningless, vanity, futility, absolutely pointless it's like a breath or a wind or a vapor when i come to church early on sunday mornings it's one of my favorite scenes is just coming up over the highway on top of the bridge and then the sun rising and looking out on the soccer fields and if it's a foggy morning you have this beautiful picture of all this mist or fog sitting right over the top of the soccer fields and it could be a snowy morning like just after a fresh snow and it's perfectly untouched and there's this beautiful sunrise and i just want to reach out there and grab it and say stop hold on right here you're perfect but what happens if i do my arms just go through the wind and there's nothing there like i even sometimes i've stopped and tried to take a picture and the picture doesn't do it I, i just can't hold on to it because it's a fog it's a mist it's a vapor there is something there and i know it but i just can't grasp it that's the idea of hebel and that's why it's translated so many different ways. It's not because the commentators don't know what they're doing. It's just such a beautiful picture, an incredible concept, this literary metaphor that's trying to say, you know, when you go after anything in life, anything under the sun, anything on this planet, that more often than not, what you discover is when you reach out and try to grasp It just slips through your fingers. So many things just fall through the hands. Whether it's work. Or whether it's wisdom. Or whether it's relationships. Or whether it's pleasure. Whatever it is that we're reaching for. That we desperately think will fulfill us. Fall to the ground. And we try. And we try. And we try. And nothing helps. And nothing seems to work. And this preacher says that he's gone through all of these experiences that he's used everything at his disposal to come up with 
an answer and nothing is working. And if that were all there is, we would certainly agree with them and come to the conclusion that everything is meaningless. Nothing is valuable. It's all a wash. We should either become nihilist or hedonist or who knows what. But that is not where the story ends. You see, the author is purposely deconstructing our worldviews. He's he's pushing our logic to the nth degree. He's taking these things that we do all the way to the end and saying, you really think that way. You really think that work will fulfill you. Go ahead. Work as hard as you can. Become the CEO and then you die. And then what happens? Your money goes where? Well, okay, fine. I'm not going to work a day in my life. I'm just going to have fun. Yeah, well, that's great. And then you wake up the next day. And what? Well, what about wisdom? You know, we'll pursue education. And he'll go through all the ways in which wisdom benefit man. But then at the end of the day, say even that too falls short. No, what, no matter what you pursue under the sun in this life, in this world, it is not enough. How then should we live? How then should we live? This is what the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is getting after. And what I will call it is an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. You'll see over and over again this term under the sun. And what that's pointing to is life in this world. At this time, the way things work, the way we know it. But perhaps, maybe, just maybe, there's something more. Here's a picture that uh, Melissa and Sarah worked very hard on to design. I want to show this picture of Ecclesiastes real quick. Um, This is the graphic for the series. And we may even tweak it some more. But I think this gets at the main message of the book. And what I want to show you is this. You'll see in one of these circles up here. If you're listening online. If you're just listening. We're showing a picture Um, You can download the slides a little bit later and you'll see what I'm talking about. But right here is this picture of the fog or the mist or the vapor. And the reality is that's the idea that the author is trying to deconstruct. That we're all going after something, but whatever it is, we can't grasp a hold of it. But what he's going to do instead is point us to an eternal perspective, which is driven by the fact that there is a God. There is a God. There is one who created all things and has a plan for eternity. And if that's the case, then what that means is life is a gift. And this giver gave us this life to be enjoyed. Now, when I say enjoyed and when I think this author says enjoyed, we're not talking about hedonism. But we're talking about Bringing glory to God and enjoying the gifts that he gave. So life is not something to be hoarded and kept to ourselves and carefully guarded, but enjoyed and given away. If you try to keep your life, you lose it. But if you give it, you actually gain it. 
That's what he's going for. And so he says, look, this is this thing, this package, this present that the giver of life gave to you. So live it, enjoy it, pursue it. But as you do, know that in the end, there will be a judgment. There will be a reconciliation that you've been given a gift. Don't bury it in the sand. Don't put it in the backyard. Don't hide it. But use every single talent that God has given you for his glory. And as such, when you do that from a pure heart and a sincere desire, then what happens is whether it goes well or whether it goes poorly, it doesn't matter because you can trust God to judge and vindicate everything in the end. There will be a reckoning. There will be a vindication. There will be a judgment of all that is wrong and there will be justice on the earth, even though as the author pursues justice, he looks and sees that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And sometimes the bad guys get away and the good guys get in trouble. But even though that's the way it is under the sun, not all that is is under the sun. There is something more. And so He's pointing us to change our way of thinking and therefore change our way of living from living for today to living for forever. He wants us to live today for forever. Live today for forever. Don't just live for today, but live today for forever. For the purpose of forever Knowing that there will be a reckoning. So this is where the author is moving with the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is why he's deconstructing all these other things that we all think are really cool. And what you'll see throughout the book is we're going to look at different sections where he does that. And we're going to pull out their meaning of wisdom and justice and life and work and truth and mercy. But for now it's enough to know. Here's here's the author. This unnamed preacher. Here's what they're trying to do deconstruct everything that we think is so significant and show us what truly is meaningful. And we'll call that an eternal perspective. Now, there's part of this picture that I put up there. We'll show this picture one more time, please. That is not actually in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the rest of the New Testament. And this is the advantage of perspective that we have from our point in time for the author of ecclesiastes he's just like okay you live you love and then you die and he's trusting that based on the fact that there is a god and that god is just that there will be a judgment and it'll work out in the end but that's all that author knows they don't know anything else but what we know from the blessing and benefit of the new testament is that there was a messiah there was a savior the only begotten son of the living god jesus the christ and this jesus he came to earth he lived a perfect life he died on the cross to pay for our sins three days later he arose from the grave and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven where now he sits at the father's right hand and rules forevermore and that same christ who was resurrected from the grave will also resurrect those who believe in him and create a new heavens and a new earth where the old is done away and all things are made new amen that's what we're looking forward to and that gives us this eternal perspective to say look this is the way things work under the sun now but there will be a day There will be a reckoning. 
And therefore, what that does is it gives life here and now meaning that no longer is it utterly meaningless, but everything we do can be for the glory of God. Because we know that not one single drop, not one single drop of effort will fall to the ground unrewarded. So here's the picture of the book. You'll see that over the series. I'm going to bring it out more and more. We're going to get ready to have communion here in a second. Remember um, the life and sacrifice of Jesus. But I just wanted to give you a heads up this morning to show you where we're going and invite you to come back because this is almost like the trailer. That's the 20 minute trailer. Okay. The rest of the stuff is coming. But the big idea, the big picture is who this preacher, what deconstructs and or how deconstructs and what he's trying to give us an eternal perspective to help us live today for forever. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of the author of Ecclesiastes and their willingness to dig deep and search hard in this difficult subject. We know from looking around, Lord, that there are many vanities, things we're pursuing that are not worth it. And we just pray, God, as we orient our lives around the cross, that you would give us that perspective that causes us to pursue you And you alone more than any other. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.